Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. These are your hosts, Jordan. Jordan, you like see what I did there? It's plural. Wow. Hosts. Did you? Oh, I thought you said hosts. Like hosts. I was supposed to be like Jordan. Oh, no, no, but you could totally like do a, that. Like a dis- like a DJ on the radio. No, I'm into it. These are your hosts, Rachel Mansfield. I am a food entrepreneur. Sometimes people are new, so I want to introduce myself. You know, food entrepreneur, cookbook author, mom, investor podcast host, walking shit show of a human. And I'm sitting here next to my now business partner, Jordan Carpenter. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I am Jordan Carpenter. I am Rachel's husband. I recently left my career in finance to join Rachel in her mega successful industry. Do you think that it's still recent if it's been like seven months? Eight months. Well, I was doing. I was doing it for ten years, so for me, it's still pretty recent. Yeah, Although, it, honestly, it feels like well, you left seven months, eight months if, ago. It feels like I've been doing this forever at this point. I know. Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't know where I left off, but Rachel's new business partner, sometimes employee, sometimes <laughs> dishwasher. <laughs> but yeah, we uh, kicked off our. Uh, fundraise for our fund and that's been uh super exciting yeah we're both pretty much uh walking zombies at this point we kicked off great adventures our first ever vc fund and we are super excited we shared it in the last episode where we spoke all about expo west and why we went there and some of our favorite new finds and things and i have a feeling we'll do like a full-fledged episode on investing in fundraising besides the one that we uh, just recorded with Kiva as well to share soon. But in today's episode, we are chatting with the gorgeous Elizabeth Stein, the CEO and founder of the granola and other mixes and products that we all know and love, Purely Elizabeth. We are talking to the Elizabeth of Purely Elizabeth. And I have known Elizabeth now for... Oh my God, maybe five years, but I've been eating her products for forever. And in today's episode, she shares her story on starting her brand. And it was very interesting. I don't know, Jordan, like what you thought about this, but I did not expect her story like to be shared how she, like, I didn't expect her to, I don't want to give it away, but like, you know, it didn't start with granola. And I thought that was a pretty, you know, interesting, uh, yeah, but she was also like a pioneer in the space, like before this was even a huge space. Elizabeth is a complete boss. She was one of the first female entrepreneurs in the food space. She was fundraising money, you know, in rooms full of suits and guys and all these things. And she has built a really, really successful brand and business. And I really look up to her a lot. And it was an honor to be able to chat with her on the podcast today. So... I hope you guys love and enjoy this episode. If you do, rate and review the podcast, share it with your friends. Let me know when you're listening to it, what you think about it. And we are going to add on a giveaway to today's podcast episode. The very first, actually, this is the first giveaway that I'm ever doing on the podcast. Five lucky people are going to win a package of Purely Elizabeth goodies. All you have to do is take a screenshot of you listening to the episode, post it on your Instagram stories, make sure that they're public so I can see it, and link to the episode. Let us know what you think, and we will be shipping out some goodies to five different people. So 
I cannot wait to hear what you think of this. Don't forget to follow us over at Rachel Mansfield on Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest. And we will be back soon. So this is our first interview back for the podcast. You were our first. I haven't done a podcast interview in a year and a half. We'll see how this goes. So moving forward for all of our podcast interviews, we just dive right on in. Like you, I already hit recording. I don't like to keep things like they're not very formal. Everything's like super conversational, very casual. So I'd love to kick it off with you introducing yourself, even though everyone definitely knows who you are, but say who you are and a little bit, a little bit about you. Sure. So A, I feel honored to be your first guest back on to the show. I am Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and we are a natural food company focused on our North Star, which is helping our consumers thrive on their wellness journey, starting with food. Um, I am 12 and a half years into the journey, which is so crazy to think about. And, you know, some days it feels like it's been 12 and a half years. Some days it's like, it's been two years and I don't know how we've gotten here. Wait, so Peel Elizabeth started 12 and a half years ago? Yeah. Wow. You're being a little modest. Okay. So <laughs> is the queen granola maker. The reason I eat a bag of vanilla chocolate chip in two days. Um, the reason my son calls everything crunchies. Everything is a crunchy. He won't eat it without crunchies on top. That's your granola. Love it. You're a boss. You were one of the first women powerhouses in this space 12 years ago. Like female entrepreneurship, I'm saying that in quotes, like was not where it was today. So I'm very excited to dive into this because you have been like, you're a veteran at this point. Like you're one of the OG female bosses out there. So where, let's backtrack. Where did Purely Elizabeth come from? Like, where did this granola I mean, I'm assuming you're going to obsess. I'm saying, where does granola obsession come from? Let's start from the beginning. Okay. So A, thank you for, for that little intro. Um, I will say the other thing that I like don't think about, but really I was so ahead of the time in terms of this wellness space. So my journey, I was not granola obsessed, actually. <laughs> Funny enough, but my journey is that I... Had gone back to, to school to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition back in the day in 2007. So this is when they were doing classes still in New York. And I was living in New York at the time. I was working for a handbag company and not really happy at my job, which I know you can relate to feeling that unease. And so at the time, I had met my boyfriend who is a personal trainer and triathlete and a marathoner. And I all of a sudden found this like whole new love of health. And I would say I was always healthy and kind of ahead of my time. So in college, I think back to finding yoga in probably my sophomore year of college and was like driving. I went to Boston University. I was driving to Cambridge, which was like a 20, 30 minute drive to go to Baron Baptiste's hot power yoga classes. And like, I was combining that with like going out and partying at the same time. But I knew that I like found this thing that I loved and that I felt like really centered and wonderful around. So that kind of always was in the back of my 
wellness journey. But ultimately, I started doing marathons and triathlons, and I wanted to find a career that was more aligned with this passion. So ended up doing the integrative nutrition program. And it was really in that program that I learned two things. One was about all these unknown ingredients. So things like quinoa and coconut oil, like these were words that weren't talked about or known at all. And then just the idea of food as medicine. And that just resonated so much with me and became this, I don't want to say obsession, but like this passion that I developed. And so as I went through the program, I started working with clients a lot who were gluten-free. And it wasn't that I said, go gluten-free, but it was like, eliminate gluten out of your diet for three weeks, see how you feel. And of course, most people all of a sudden, it was like miracle work that they felt better without this inflammation in their body. And products at that time were terrible in 2007 and 2008. And so somewhere in my mind, I thought like there could be an opportunity for a product, but it ultimately didn't come into a business idea until I went to a local triathlon in Westchester And I had a booth at the race to promote my nutrition practice. And so the night before the race, I debated, do I hand out a kale salad recipe or do I like make some food to entice people at my booth, decided to make muffins. And as it turned out, nobody cared about signing up for my nutrition practice. Everybody just wanted to know where they could buy these delicious muffins. So that was really the hot moment. And end of the day, I started telling people when they signed up for my newsletter, I would let them know when products would be available. So they, I had made that day blueberry muffins um, and they were millet flour, almond flour, chia, coconut oil. Like to think that that was 2008 was just really ahead of its time. And so it was intriguing for people. Um, and ultimately I went back to that race a year later thinking like, you know what, here's a captive audience. I will just see what happens. And this will be a side project. And I had gone to fancy food that summer. So I like knew what I wanted my packaging to be. And there was some intention behind it. My cousin was my graphic designer. So it wasn't this like whole production that I went to put together, but I sold product at the race. And then about a week later was contacted by Daily Candy. And this was like their heyday. And they featured me in a newsletter and had $10,000 of orders in three hours. And that was how it started. You have $10,000 worth of muffins? No, of course not. I I had produced like 20 packages because I vividly remember going to sleep the night before and saying to my boyfriend, like putting out in the universe, I hope I sell 20 bags. That was my goal. (laughs) So therefore, that's all I produced. And so it took about three weeks and was overnighting ingredients from Bob's Red Mill was the flour we were using. So it was overnighting ingredients on a tractor trailer with pallets being dropped off at my mom's house in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And we didn't, I mean, we didn't even have a kitchen at the beginning. So the first couple of days were like, we were just making it at my mom's house and trying to figure out how to scale up a recipe. I mean, at this, I kid you not, the first couple of days we were taking red solo cups 
and doing like a teaspoon at a time, 10 across, and then filling bags. And then finally we realized, oh, we could like scale this up into a big container. But also this was granola at this point in time. No, this is just muffin mix. Muffin, it was three muffin mixes and a pancake mix. And that's what I started with. And granola didn't come until like a year and a half later. Okay, so you're shipping out all these, then what happened? Like, so you're at your mom's house. Were you still living in the city? Did you have, you left your hand handbag? Let's just say hand job. You left your handbag. <laughs> I had left the handbag job earlier that year because I was doing nutrition counseling. And I was at the point that I was, I knew that I couldn't do both. And I was like, I just need to take the risk and jump. And that's the only way that, that this business is going to work, which I think is um, a good and bad lesson, I guess, for people. But it ended up working. And so I was living in New York and ultimately ended up using a commercial kitchen in Philadelphia where my mom was and where we had, you know, some friends who, who could help. And so for that first year, I drove back and forth from the city to Philly using the kitchen, like two or three days a week, would fill up my car to the brim with product, bring it back, and then ship it out of my apartment on 91st and Broadway. Oh my gosh. And how long did you do this for? A whole year? It was like a little bit longer than a year. Yeah. Cause it took a long time to find a co-packer. So finding a co-packer, a manufacturer is difficult, you know, at any stage, but really at the beginning, it's very hard finding one who's small enough. And at the time, because we were gluten-free, but we had almond flour. So we had an allergen, like there were just very few options. Um, so it took a while to find. And eventually I found my first co-packer who was in Vermont. And, and then at that point I drove six hours to Vermont, <laughs> but I wasn't driving a couple of days a week. So why did you transition though from muffins and pancake mixes to granola? Like what was the evolution of this? So this was, a happy accident. So I unfortunately was not a huge granola eater at the time. Because there wasn't anything good on the market. Duh. Right. Because there wasn't. And I just, yeah. And my mom was a huge granola eater. Like she was granola obsessed. And so th- that didn't have an influence on me, but I, I don't know what did. One random Saturday, it was like, I'm living in the city. It was gray February, like it is now. And I was bored and I happened to make a batch of granola. And literally it was the first time I ever made granola in my life. And I had had a couple of samples of ingredients because at this point I was, you know, buying different sorts of ingredients. And so I incorporated puffed amaranth and all of these ingredients that weren't in the mix in our mixes. And I made this batch of granola and my mom was in town visiting it came hot out of the oven and she was like, oh my God, this is the best tasting granola I've ever had. This needs to be your next product. And that was and is our original granola. And I never changed the recipe from that day. That's the yellow bag granola, right? Yes. Yellow bag granola. Our number one skew never changed. I still have my pink spatula that I use to mix it. And it's not free, which is like, like, yeah. It. Well, you have a couple other like the chocolate and, and pumpkin and stuff that's also not free, but that's like really differentiates you in the space too. It's a nut free granola that doesn't have like, you know, either canola oil or some type of sugar crap in it. 
how did you learn about all these different ingredients like in 2008 like i feel like these are like like where'd you buy them more popular and well-known now but like what was the market like for amaranth or i mean it, it was so i learned about it in the nutrition program and like a lot of them were i guess it was a combination of some like raw food ingredients that were like the raw food module, which was like chia and coconut oil and coconut sugar, even though it's not raw, but it was still part of that like raw kind of superfood. Same with hemp seeds. And then some of like the quinoa, I don't remember who talked about that, but it was in that program. Um, And no, you're right. Like you couldn't buy it at the store. I think you could probably buy coconut oil at the time, but you couldn't buy anything else. So it's funny or not funny, but it's it's just wild how in the beginning, even organic gluten-free oats didn't exist. Like it was hard enough just to buy gluten-free. And that first year that I was buying that our granola was out, it wasn't organic because you literally could not find organic gluten-free oats. And now you certainly can, but it's so, changed. So you make the granola with your mom, then what? You just started mass producing it. Did you go to the same co-packer? Like what, when did you get into stores? Yeah. So we did go to the same co-packer and, you know, was really lucky that at the time she was doing very small runs. I can't even remember what the size was, but we could probably produce like 200 bags at a time or something, you know, pretty manageable. And at this time with the mixes, we were already in stores. So we were in some Whole Foods already. And we I had hired brokers in the East Coast. So we had somewhat of a foundation. And then this was like the new item launch that we had probably at Expo. I actually don't even remember because at the time it didn't seem like this was going to be our like big new product. Um, but it must have been at Expo West that we debuted it and quickly saw that the turns on that were just so much stronger than mixes. And the reception was so much higher that it felt like we really need to focus on what's working. And therefore, we discontinued the mixes so that we could really focus on granola. That was actually like I, very admirable because a lot of brands, when they're starting off, like they just they put so much out in the universe and they don't just prioritize one skew and they put so many things out there. And it's like amazing that you were able to build a presence based off of one product, which then allowed you to expand over the years. But it feels like most people wouldn't have retracted something that was like already on shelves in Whole Foods or like already doing something. Yeah, no, it's so funny. I literally just got off a call with a friend in the industry, like 20 minutes before this call who just decided to discontinue her original line. And she was like, I was having so much agony about it. I knew I could call you and talk to you. And I was like, it's like, congratulations. And it's the best thing. And being able to pivot to something that is working better, you know, it hurts in the short term, but obviously in the long term is going to far pay out. That's actually a good segue to my next question, which was, do you have like a, a mentor or someone to look up to? Because I'm sure you have a lot of friends now in the space that either come to you for advice or you go to them for advice. But who, who did you turn to 12 years ago for help and how to like get into a store or learn what a distributor, distributor is or even learn what a co-packer is? Like, did you have like a mentor of sorts? I definitely didn't know anybody in the industry. So 
I would say that, especially coming from like the handbag fashion world where I had gone to those trade shows and people were like, not the nicest and didn't talk to you. I couldn't believe when I went to my first expo, how everyone was so nice. I had met like Justin from Justin Snapbutter and he said, here's my cell phone, come out to Boulder and check out my co-packer. Like everyone was just really kind and offering information. So there's definitely a bunch of people who I met throughout like the beginning stages where somebody would offer like certain bits of information. Um, But really I ended up actually at my very first trade show hiring um, an outside broker management. So they're like, they manage your broker network of sales and they were super helpful in really explaining like what a distributor is, what a broker does, and all of those nuances that, you know, coming into it blind, you have no idea. You mind explaining what a broker does? Because a lot of people are wondering like how you knew what to do. So like, I know what a broker is, I'm sure. You know what a broker is? Yeah. Okay. Um, what exactly, like, what does a broker do? Sure. So a broker is a group of outside salespeople who help get your product into the store. So especially in the beginning when you're starting out and at the beginning, it was just myself and my mom as as my salesperson. So there's only so much we could cover and brokers help to go either physically into the stores and sell in your product or to make headquarter calls at say a Target or a Whole Foods and they're not employed by you but from someone else that you outsource that to. So they represent anywhere from 20 brands to 80 brands. But yeah, I mean I think back to your question of of knowing anything or not knowing. I, I always say that the fact that I didn't know anything and was so naive to the nuances of the industry is what got me, I think, to where I am. But initially, it's like, if you knew all those things, you would have so much more fear that you wouldn't have done it. True. It's similar to how I always say that I never start out with like a business plan because I feel yeah. like what I was getting myself into. Like if you knew all the obstacles that were ahead of you, you probably would have been like a little more hesitant to try it or to take the plunge and, and run with it. For sure. When did you start taking like outside capital to fund your brand? When did you know that you were going to like, how did, when did you learn what investing was and like all, all that whole world? I just learned. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm just learning. Um, so we were really lucky that the first several years that it was really reliant on my savings and my family, who was super supportive. I remember my mom saying to my dad in the beginning, like, I think we should invest in this. Like, this is really going to be something. And my dad said to my mom, like, no, I want to see a business plan. And my mom was like, no, like, I'm telling you that I believe in this. This is going somewhere. So they were amazingly supportive. And that really allowed me to wait several years before taking investment. And I think what the was really able to do was to prove out this business to an extent and not, um, you know, we were still so young. So it was 2016, I think when we took first investment. So seven years into the business. That's a long time. Yeah. So it really, I mean, at that point we were, you know, in a, 
number one in natural and in target and you know other retailers that it allowed us to really have more of an upper hand and know what this business was and also allow you know entrusting investors to invest to say hey this is a good thing you know not selling someone on something that you don't really know if it's going to work or not did you have like a vc fund like a major investment from one play or did you do a bunch of different investments so i had 301 Inc., which was the General Mills investment group as our initial investment. How many rounds have you done since then? We just closed our Series B. Oh my God, congratulations. Thank you. That's why I was joking of like, I'm just figuring it out now. (laughs) Oh my God, see another boat that we we missed. Do you like the the fundraising part of the business? No, it (laughs) took like a year of my life away. Uh, the founders and everyone has the same thing. They're just like, I want to get this over with so I can go back to my day job. Yeah. I mean, it's a very distracting process. Uh, at the same time, it does, it is great in that it really forces you to look at the business sometimes in a different way and to project out what's our three-year plan, what's our five-year plan, which sometimes you're just so into the weeds of things that it's hard to take that step back and look at the business um, from a different perspective. So it was helpful from that standpoint, but at the same time, it was a very lengthy process and happy to be done. Do you think that at first, when you were starting out, it was hard being a female in this space? Like, were you one of the only female founders when you first went to Expo or were there a lot of other brands as well? I mean, I would say that some of my like really close friends in the industry are females and they started right when I did. So I think we were at the very beginning of that change. I never really honestly thought of it in that way. Like to me, I was surrounded. I felt like I was in this wonderful position and surrounded with other women who were doing amazing things that were really changing the industry and coming at it from a place of passion and wanting to change versus necessarily like coming into it like natural food is the space to be in and we want to create a business to sell, you know, it was really different then. So I think that passion really carried forward. I will say there's definitely been times at trade shows as an example where people, men will come into the booth and I'll be there with like our head salesperson and ask if he's the owner of the company and our company is called Purely Elizabeth. Like, it couldn't be more obvious. <laughs> so there's little things like that. But I, I think I've been pretty lucky as far as not feeling anything major from a woman perspective. How has the um, industry as a whole changed like from your from the beginning until now? What are some of the good things that have like occurred? And I guess some of the bad things too. Yeah, great question. I think certainly there's definitely more good than bad, you know, from just a pure ingredient perspective and where the consumer is like, again, those ingredients. I mean, I remember being in my first trade show and explaining to buyers what chia seeds were and what coconut oil was. And like to now have the consumer wanting that is so amazing to see. I think another Amazing change is just the buyers at a lot of these retailers are now much younger and 
care so much more. And so I think that's also helping the products that are on the shelves. You know, when I first started, it was definitely like the good old boys club who were sitting in those seats and didn't necessarily understand what our products were. I remember being at a major retailer presenting grain-free granola, and this is 2014. So again, like ahead of grain-free granola times. And he was like, I don't really understand. Like, I think this belongs in the chip section. (laughs) So the buyers have really, I think, evolved and that's helping what's on product shelves. I think my, the biggest like negative that I would say is honestly some of the products that are now like plant, I'm all for plant-based and what it can do for our world and our environment and all of that. But all these manufactured products in that space, I think are just you know, from a health perspective, aren't great for us and not a good substitution. We were talking about this. There's yeah, a, this a brand that we're probably investing in that's kind of revolutionizing that, that we're like really excited about. And like, I've never even had a lot of like mock meat things because yeah. like healthy or a good option. I just never really have had a need to. But now that the space is like this, it's so different from even when I had entered this and like when I was working at a CPG brand, like no one wanted anything that was like not soda or not Snapple or like when I was working at a beverage company, like we're like, whatever, I'll just go buy Snapple or Gatorade or whatever. But to see how things are like the norm now is the norm now and not as like crunchy and, and granola for lack of a better, better term. Do you think that brands starting out now are at an advantage or a disadvantage? like a new company in the space? Like, is, do you think it's harder to get on shelves in a retailer than it was like 10 years ago? For sure. I think it's so much harder. I mean, there's so many factors at play. One, COVID. So just from a pure, like meeting with a buyer, you know, buyers still aren't, most for the most part, they're not taking meetings. So you might have a meeting over Zoom, which is just to me so hard to truly connect with a someone who you don't know who you're presenting, you can't be there and feed them the product, which is, I think, a huge disadvantage. And then on top of that, just with COVID and supply chain challenges, you know, a lot of buyers are hesitant to want to bring in new brands, let alone like new products. They're, you know, they're focusing on bigger companies where they feel like they have better control on supply chain or at least have fewer suppliers who are bringing product into the stores. Um, So I think those are two, you know, big COVID pieces. And then I think just the competition, like there's just so much more out there that, you know, when we were first starting, like the daily candy pickup happened because we were so innovative. It was nothing was like that. You know, there was no me too. And it just feels like there's so much me too that's happening that it's really hard to stick to stand out. It's also hard for brands. Like I feel as though brands are always trying to like innovate too hard now where it's almost over the top. And like all of the brands that we like typically look like love and use and want to be a part of, they're just, giving us basics made with simple ingredients. But I feel like brands are putting like CBD and everything and like adaptogens and this. And it's like, people just want the plain old, plain old. They just want like the simple things. 
Um, but it's hard to innovate something and make a splash when, unless you're doing something different, it's kind of like a catch 22. Like, what do you actually do? It is. And it's, it's something that we've actually had a lot of angst with because a, like I love being innovative and at the forefront and using cool new ingredients. So we have certainly entered products that have failed because they've been, they added Rishi and this and that. And like nobody at the end of the day, I don't say nobody cares, but to your point, like everyone just wants great tasting food and they don't want it too complicated. But sometimes as a company, you're innovating for the retailer because they want that hook to say, oh, this sounds different. But that innovation like to the retailer is somewhat different than the innovation to the consumer. What do you think has been like your biggest product flop that you've launched that you were like really excited about? Is that like an inappropriate question? No, not at all. Oh no, I'm just. What I, I you can ask me my biggest flop. My biggest... That wasn't what I thought you were going. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is in something you launched? You're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have put that out there. My biggest, our biggest flop, which never came to market. We showed it at Expo West, and this is right before we took investment from 301. And the concept was mushroom. This is so this is 2016. So again, very ahead of its time on mushrooms. So they were bars powered by a different blend of mushroom. Oh, I ate those. Yeah, you did eat those, and they were horrible. (laughs) And it was like beauty, energy. There were five different functional names. And we thought we could say all these claims on it because we were following what the mushrooms say. But as it turned out, what you can say in supplements is not the same as food. Oh, interesting. Yes. It is very interesting. And it seems like so archaic that there would be different rules, but there's basically very few rules in supplements versus food. Because it's not supported by FDA claims on supplements? I I guess. Because all supplements always have that like... Right. Like, yeah. Exactly. So we we put that claim on the packaging thinking like, well, if they say that, we can say right. that. And then we got the investment from 301 and they were like, no, no, no. <laughs> you can't say any of that. So that was a fail, but I thought it was a super innovative product. And... You know, it probably was going to be too ahead of its time, I think, in the first place. What's your favorite product? My favorite? Our original granola. The original? Yeah. Later, still. Your favorite? I've never seen Rachel, like, I, I mean, first of all, she, like, hoards your granola, like, I'm <laughs> But, like, she's usually, like, she'll find one flavor that she likes of, like, anything and then just, like, stick to that and, like, eat it until like it's no longer in existence but she'll literally eat any of your granolas i'm like which one do you not want she's like i want i want all of them and i'm just like well which one can i which one can i take it's very true yeah but i've never noticed that like i'm very particular about flavors of everything like my olipop flavor my like bar flavors my specific nut butter like but with you i literally will eat anything you're one of the only brands i will eat any flavor that you make God, I feel interesting. So what's your, if you could only have one flavor, what would it be? Honey peanut butter. I just started feeding that to my dogs. They loved it. Oh my God. (laughs) Just like the crumbs at the bottom of the bag. 
That's what, that's what I get. No, I go like this. I drink it. Yeah, honey peanut. My ranking is honey peanut butter, vanilla chocolate chip, the banana nut grain free, probably the coconut cashew grain free, and then everyone else is just equal. Love well, it. I can't quite reveal it yet, but is there later, a- later this year we will have some new product that incorporates honey peanut butter in it. Nice. You can tell me after this. I'll tell you after. <laughs> I don't have any breads. Um, have but- you ever messed around with the size of the bag? Yeah. So we have a four ounce size that we do for like food service. So we have it in some airports and we're really trying to build out that grab and go. And then we've done a bigger Costco size. But what, what size bag were you thinking? I don't know. One that would support racial addiction. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we were, when I was at the New York airport, I think I posted about them. There was like, you had the small bags. I've never seen you in Costco though. Which Costco's are you in? So last year we were in, we did an MVM it's called. So it's like a a one-time buy and you're in their national flyer and it goes into every Costco. And that was amazing. And now we're just doing rotations in different regions. So it's not in your area right now. Do you ever do a Costco roadshow? We have not done a roadshow. I've done a lot of road shows. Would you do it again? Would you tell a brand to do it? Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. But from an endurance perspective, like when you going, it is not easy. It was like manual labor. You're freezing your ass off. I was so cold the entire time. Remember I would come home to that road show. I'd be dead. Is that because you were by the refrigerator? I don't know. Costco's just a really cold place. Yeah. I feel like all grocery stores are like, are cold. Yeah. Now that we live in the suburbs, we have a Costco membership. So. Oh, nice. Do you consider like I like I look to you and I'm like, she's so successful. Her brand is like so successful. Like to me, you're like the golden one of the golden products that like truly that I love. Do you view yourself as successful? I think I'm successful for sure. But I also I think like many people also feel like it's a journey, right? And it's hard sometimes to step back. And especially we just close this round and, you know, have whatever press around it. And it still hasn't hit me yet of like the milestones where we are. And I still think like, God, this 12 years has gone by so quickly, but we have a massive company and it's just, it's, it's a really great exercise to step back and to realize and appreciate and see how far that you've come. And I don't do it enough, I think. I think most people are guilty of that. Yeah. Not. But I think it's good for everybody. I mean, no matter what size, like my excitement at hitting a million dollars versus hitting $70 million, I was probably more excited at like a million dollars. Say that to me all the time. You guys, like, you're more excited about 10,000 followers on Instagram than you are about anything else. Like, yeah. Yeah. she gets gets like so high and low on like these such small things i'm just like take a step back every once in a while and like smell the roses yeah it's so it's hard yeah it is hard now that i've now that i'm in the grind i i understand the uh (laughs) pains do you have anyone like a life like a career coach or like someone you talk things through like big business decisions or like do you watch billions like do you like a wendy and billions 
I do watch Billions. I love Billions. It's so good. So I don't, although this year, actually, our old um, head of marketing left to do more life business coaching. And so we actually brought her on um, as a company to coach everybody on the team. So we're just starting out that for everyone, which, you know, personally, I really wanted and think it's a great thing for everybody on the team to have that outlet as well. That's so beautiful. That's cool work for, for anyone who wants to come work there. How, how many employees do you have? Like what's the size of the company now? Like people wise? We are 36 and we'll be 40 at the end of the year. We're hiring for an HR person. If anybody out there is in HR, this will be our first HR role, which is a big step. Wow. Yeah. That's who, who manages who all the now? drama. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. How do you do that? That's a lot. So you have to take, like, you watch everyone's like vacation days. No, no, no. Our CFO does that side of, and we use like an outsourced insurance, PEO and all that stuff. But do you have an assistant? I don't. I don't have an assistant. And I don't know that I would want one. Like, I feel like controlling my schedule, like I want to be in control of that. I think it would be more work than like helpful. It's a lot of work. I was an assistant to a CEO and founder. It's it's a lot. It's a big job for sure. But like it's needed, you know, yeah. don't feel guilty over that. I learned so much about running my own business just because I had access to like, like you're, you know, someone like you, like a, a brains, like if you're, right. you're like helping mold someone else to do like magic that you're doing. What was the biggest thing you learned in that role? Like about running a, a business. I'll never forget this. Okay, well, there's a couple of things. Number one, I helped him with a lot of the investor relations, which actually helped us like now into like yeah. we're actually starting a VC fund. So like helping you're that. starting a VC fund. Yeah, no well, way. Actually, I can't afford a series. We can't afford a series. Be still, but like maybe <laughs> one day. Um, but he also said something to me very. I'll never forget this. Where. He wanted every single single vendor that they worked with. So like whoever supplied the bottles, the caps, the boxes to be considered a vendor partner. And he wanted me to make all these phone calls to all these places and lock in set prices with them. He's like, tell them we'll work with them for the next X amount of years if they give us X price and call them a vendor partner, make them feel loved. And I really adapted that when it comes to like my brand partner. So I'm like, lock in an annual contract with me. You get the same rate. You don't get the increase. And kind of from there, I learned a lot from, from doing that. I was only his assistant for like a year. That's so great. Yeah, it was nice. Now, are all the employees in Colorado? Like, are you guys all over? We're all over. So initially it was always, our sales team was always remote. And then everybody else was based in Colorado, in Boulder, Denver. And certainly with the pandemic that opened it up to say like, hey, let's just hire the best person for X role. So we're now about half and half Boulder, Denver and remote. So it's across other teams, which is a challenge because it's so nice now. We're back in the office a couple of days a week, optionally. And you know, when everyone's in the office, it's just so much energy and it's, it's fun. Nice to be around people. Yeah, it's super nice to be around people. I always did well in an office setting. I need like that, like, I mean, I'm not like a very social person, but I do need that, like, 
human interaction and like sitting next to people and like working from home has definitely been interesting um especially now working with Rachel too (laughs) yeah I mean it's nice I think a hybrid is the perfect solution like we're two days home is great and the other days in the office with people and now we have probably more dogs in our office and we have humans oh my god I'd be petrified in your office There are dogs. What made you choose Colorado to start your company? So I started it in New York. I'm sorry, to like to scale your company. But then I had come out here. Well, so I, the first time I came out here is after I met Justin and I was looking for a co-packer and he was here and his co-packer was here. So I came out the very first time to meet the co-packer and we were way too small at the time. But on that same trip, I met my master broker who lived here for the first time. So I was like, oh, Boulder is this epicenter of natural foods. This feels like a great place to be. And ultimately, maybe nine months after that trip, we started to use a manufacturer out here. And so at that point, I mean, secretly, when I first came out here, I was like, I want to move to Boulder, but I'm so close with my family and they're in in Philly and New York. And so I was like, there's no way I'm moving across the country. And then when the co-packer part happened, it just felt like a really good reason to be here. And in retrospect, I can't imagine growing a company, 36 employees in a New York office and all of the costs associated with that. So we lucked out. And at the time I had two people working for me and they moved with me. So there was three of us and, and that was how it started out here. Are you still with you? They are. So one is our creative director and the other is our director of quality. Wow. That's and it was both their first jobs out of college. So they really developed themselves. It's also impressive to be with the same company for 12 years or whatever, you know, 10 yeah. years was like, you don't hear of anyone doing that anymore. Yeah. yeah. I feel super grateful. Do you still spearhead all the product innovation? We just hired our first innovation person this past year. I remember you said like, 2021 we did. Really? Yeah. Was that weird for you? For yeah. sure. For sure. But But honestly, you know, we were so we had no innovation process and it was just like, oh, I have this idea and let's throw it together and let's send it to Whole Foods. And then like two weeks later, they approve it and we now have to figure out how to make it like there was no process. So now, you know, not only to help come up with ideas, but really put a process around it so that at this stage, you know, we can't just launch something without truly doing it right. And the size and scale is just too much from a cost perspective to be doing it the way we were. Where'd they come from? She was at Kashi. Cool. I used to eat Kashi. <laughs> yeah. My mom was there. Yeah, Kashi. As you've grown, what's been like the hardest thing that you've like had to give up in the company? Or like, you know, not run anymore at the company? Good question. I'm still pretty involved in everything. <laughs> I mean, innovation, I guess, would probably be the biggest one. That, But I'm certainly in all the innovation meetings. 
Um, I think really now we have the team in place that I am involved still in all of our meetings, but now it's definitely taking more of a backseat than I know that they can all run it. And um, I'm there to be support and lend, you know, my lens, but knowing it's a much different place today than it was even like a year ago, which I'm really grateful for. Is it still you on Instagram? It is still me on Instagram. Oh, no, there's that's still you. I mean, I'm not answering all of our DMs. I do some of our DMs, but not all of them. You don't answer, right? Like you have someone that does all this. We have someone who runs our social. Yes. But I mean, when I'm posting stories, those are my stories. Someone isn't an, taking pictures of like my dogs. <laughs> no, I get that. But, like it used to be like you responding to everything. And I always think I'm like, is it still her? Like, I really hope not for her sake. <laughs> yeah. I can't. No, I cannot be answering all of our DMs. But it is 100% that I'm like, we have to answer every single DM. That is very important to me. Yeah. No, that is, especially as like a brand, like yeah. customer service perspective. I see that. Um, what is the ultimate goal for the brand? Do you want to get acquired? The ultimate goal that I transparently share in our organization is just having maximum flexibility. And so I I truly don't know what that future looks like. Like, could it be that we are employee owned forever? Could it be that we IPO or get acquired? Like any of those things I think are possible. And in order to do that, like we have to have maximum flexibility, which means creating real platform value of the brand and showing that extendability across various different categories and being financially stable, um, having those two things intact to allow us to be in charge and to say in three years, like we can decide or I can decide if I want to go this direction or this direction. Do you do your own grocery shopping? <laughs> I do. And I don't do, I mean, obviously during the pandemic, I did Instacart, but I love like grocery shopping is. I, I got this email today and I was like talking about this person who's like successful. And the story was like, there's like things in your life that you should give up good... to save your time. And the thing was like grocery shopping, like you should not have to grocery shop. But like Rachel is obsessed with grocery shopping, but I guess you're also on the food business. So it kind right. of makes sense. like, I guess to that point is there like things that you have like either sacrificed for work or that you make a priority in your life? I would say like, there's definitely, I guess when you ask that question about like giving up grocery shopping or, or X, Y, and Z, like I, I really haven't outsourced a lot of things as as I'm answering these questions. But I, at the same time, and have super prioritized like my self-care and my own wellness, well-being. And so, you know, the question is always like, how do you balance? And I just don't think of it in that way. Like I, priority number one has really been my self-care. And like, to me, that is my morning routine, my whatever my night routine is, but like my morning routine is always like a non-sacrifice. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Like your self-care in general, like what is your morning routine? So morning routine, so I now got a second dog. So my beginning of the morning, 
is like dealing with my dogs, but I got a second dog so that the first dog that they would play with each other. And I think be less work for me. So that happens first. And then I work out and I feel like any sort of movement, even if it's like 15 minutes, just ultimately makes me feel better. like mentally more, even more so than physically. So I do a mix of Peloton, Peloton, like strength training, yoga, Sculpt Society, some, I have the mirror. So I do like fun boxing classes. I just like to change it up and like have it be fun. Or triathlons or marathons? No, no more. No, that was, that was, took way too much time. (laughs) And I didn't like it. Like in retrospect, like I don't like to run. So I was doing something to achieve something that felt great, like as an achievement, but it wasn't a joy to do. And I want to do things that bring me joy. You're still running a marathon. You're growing a business. It's like a different type. Yeah. Um, so you work out then what, what do you eat for breakfast? So I work out and then I do some sort of like meditation, gratitude, exercise, a five minute journal is usually what I do, which is like a two minute journal for me. I just bought that. Like, the oh, nice. yeah. Do you like it? It's just sitting on my nightstand for the last month, but I'm going to use it soon. <laughs> well, it's nice. Cause it just like gives you the prompts. It, it can be fast, but it gives you that mindfulness in the morning. <laughs> Um, four minute meditation. Mm-hmm. And then I started trying to do meditation because it always felt like very daunting. I was like, okay, it doesn't need to be 10 minutes or 20 minutes. Let's just do like a three minute meditation, a five minute. So I think that's a really great way to try to ease into it or just have that be your practice. Like it doesn't have to be something that's long, um, for just bring that mindfulness and that like breath, I think is really important. So those are my like non-negotiables in the morning. What about breakfast? What's your favorite breakfast? I've been on a super oatmeal kick recently. Like I, that's all I've been craving. So I've been really, we have some new oatmeals that are coming out and they're even better than our old oatmeal. So I've been eating a ton of that. I mean, if you want me to sample anything where you totally can, Ezra would be honored. Um, we eat your oatmeal every single morning. Cause I also love it. The blue and they, like, they don't have sugar in it yeah so, so he eats them a lot I mean for like oatmeal or yogurt and granola over here and I switch back and forth between doing overnight and doing it hot oh, yeah. are you one or the other or both I started out as an overnight right. I haven't made overnight oats in a really long time yeah because you overdid it yeah, I kind of like murder things. Like I eat something so much and then like I can't look at it anymore. I'm waiting for that for your granola, but I'm like, yeah, it's it's so and, and it has so many flavors too now. That's so you true. Have to keep switching it up. We do hot oatmeal, but it's also co- so cold. Yeah. But like we also make a big batch and then we keep it in the refrigerator and then we just warm it up every morning. Because the two minutes in the microwave was just way too long for Ezra. Right? <laughs> it's like, he's like, where's my, where's my oatmeal? And I'm like, or oatmealage, as he likes to call it. And yeah. Like two minutes in the microwave, and he's like screaming at me. I'm like, oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the refrigerator, and you'll eat it like that. He has no patience. What do you put in your oatmeal? What kind of milk? I tend to make my own nut milk. <laughs> so, <laughs> because you have so much time. Okay. <laughs> so, I soak cashews, and then I just leave soaked cashews in the freezer. So that I always have them on hand and then I'll just blend up 
you know, a little bit of cashews and water and that's it. Oh, that's a really good idea. And plus, I just felt like I was buying, especially when I was traveling more, that I would buy any sort of nut milk and then I wouldn't use it and it would go to waste and I don't like wasting food. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And what is your nighttime routine? Like, how do you, when, like what day, do you have a specific time of the day where you shut off and then you don't check your email or you don't do anything? No, I'm horrible at that. Like I'm looking at my phone until I go to sleep. What time and I, I know sleep is very important. And I know every sleep expert says like, don't look at your phone like two hours. Like I'm looking at my phone until I'm asleep. So, yeah. <laughs> every night we're like, all right, we'll put our phones down and like do something else. And then like literally like two seconds later, we're like gravitating towards our phone. It's, it's so, it's not, it's not toxic. Toxic isn't the right word, but it's just like, geez. What time do you go to bed? On a normal night, I would say like nine. I'm an early to bed and then I'm up at like five. Same. Not on my own accord though. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to hit you with my fireball questions. Okay. okay. I'm ready. See if I remember them. Okay, I don't remember them. I didn't even practice. Let's see if I actually remember them. I can cut out my bosses if I can't. But if you weren't doing what you currently were for your career, what would you be doing? I'd want, I don't know if I'd want to be like a chef, but something else in food in like have a restaurant. What kind of restaurant? Like a Um, fancy restaurant or like a fat, like a casual? Somewhere in the middle, I think. But like, I would love to go back to, not back to, I'd love to go to culinary school. I think that would be super fun. Hmm. I probably should. So I learned how to use a knife. Right. I don't know how to use a knife. Like, I don't know anything proper. Me neither. You should choose food videos with Rachel. Like, really <laughs> cut my finger. Your dream day of food. Like, it's your last day on earth. What are you eating? Definitely Italian. And all I can think about is last night, I went to one of my favorite restaurants here and they were doing like a special Italian night. So we had a tasting of like two different pastas and meatballs and a salad and a crudo. And it was like the most perfect meal. You know, we need specifics. Like, what are you having for breakfast, lunch? It's a very detailed question. Okay. Um, Last dinner. I would probably have pancakes. Mm. What flavor? Like our plain grain-free or ancient grain topped with granola, a drizzle of nut butter, and bananas. And maple syrup. Like very um, similar. I, you know, this whole conversation, I'm like, holy crap, you guys are very similar. It's kind of <laughs> granola on pancakes. Are we married? Yeah, she does that. I honestly sometimes at the time if I get the food, I just eat it. I don't even think about what it is. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> I, I've been doing that for years, dude. I don't know if I've ever realized. And on waffles, same thing. God, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, ignore him. Uh, what are you having for lunch? For lunch, I guess knowing that I'm doing that Italian feast for dinner, maybe sushi. Oh, nice one. What kind of rolls? Um, I am thinking about Nobu right now, or like a marriage of Nobu and sugarfish, like a baked crab hand roll, um, some salmon, sashimi. Basically anything that's at either of those restaurants, oh, yeah. <laughs> like the whole menu. <laughs> Last night, I was like, do you think that 
we would have time after you talk to Elizabeth to go into the city, pick up sugar fish and come home before Oh my God. You're so lucky that you could go and do that. We don't. We've only been there one time. We've gone takeout though a bunch. Yeah. During COVID, they did like a really good take. I mean, they, they still do it all the, the time, right? That they're known for. Oh, sorry. Maybe. Yeah, the boxes. Um, do you even have good sushi in Colorado? I, I, I don't mean like you don't have water. Right. We even we have a a good place here, but it's not anything like either of those. Like it's not great. Then an Italian feast for dinner, and what are you having for dessert? What are your favorite? Desserts? What's your favorite? My favorite desserts are any like sort of fruit crisp. Very crisp sort of dessert. But I'm cream. not a chocolate lover. That's the one place where we differ. Interesting. Yeah, I like actually don't like chocolate. No, that no one doesn't like chocolate. You just I have one. It's weird. You have dessert every night after dinner, or no? Do I have dessert every night after dinner? Not every night, but I definitely like a sweet something. Oh, interesting. Have you tried um midday squares? No. Phenomenal. Like your favorite TV show? Like your go-to? I mean, my most favorite TV show ever was 90210. <laughs> I don't think I've ever fully seen that. Oh, my God. It is a holiday. I know. My, I was like BOC in One Tree Hill. Right. Um, and what, about, what are you currently watching right now? Like a current show? I just finished watching the new season of Ozark, which was so good. See, we gotta we gotta start it. Yeah, no, we do. Yeah, it's it's good. I watched it, so then we never we never really got into it. Have you been watching the season of Billions? I haven't started yet because I was watching Ozark, and I I don't remember what I was watching before that, but that is on my list to start. Is it good this new season? I I love Axe. So. Yeah me it's like a little weird with like I watched it for him um he also really reminds me of my old boss like so much so that like I'm almost like infatuated with it but he's not on there which is kind of weird but I love the city like Manhattan watching all the sites and stuff and they're so accurate and everything I think it's kind of like a refresh like even though it's sort of like the same show like now there's some new characters it's definitely Mm -hmm. I didn't even know he wasn't going to be on it. Interesting. Yes. Um, Sad reason why I left. Yeah. His his wife passed away last year. Oh. Well, let's tell everyone where they could find you, where they could buy your granola, which is like probably everywhere. And tell them about your podcast too. Okay. You can find us on purelyelizabeth.com, in Whole Foods, Kroger, Target, Walmart. And on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth. And you can listen to the podcast with Rachel, Live Purely with Elizabeth. Go listen to that episode. She was so much fun. And you can use my code Rachel25 if you want to get a discount on your website too. <laughs> I'm going to plug myself. It's, it's my podcast I can. Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you.